Hey, I'm Jules. And I'm Megan. And this is Lasting Looks. We take you behind the scenes of pop culture's most iconic looks. Welcome to our first episode. Thanks for tuning in today. So, Jules and I are obsessed with pop culture. And we are obsessed with costumes and fashion, and we think the creative minds behind these huge moments don't get enough attention or recognition. We are here to highlight some of our favorite looks that left a lasting impression. I am so excited because this week we talked to costume designer Cynthia Bergstrom. Cynthia was a costume designer for 25 years. Her credits include the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Private Practice, Medium, and Grey's Anatomy. She was also the costume designer for a little movie that came out in 1996 called Scream. When you have created a look that is one of the most recognizable Halloween costumes, you know you have done something significant. Scream is definitely my all-time favorite scary movie. I will never forget the first time that I watched it. It was so scary, and it was just so cool and of the time, and I loved it. Here we are talking about it 24 years later. And not only was Cynthia such a pleasure to talk to, but she gave us a lot of fun inside scoop on screen. Here's our interview with the one and only Cynthia Bergstrom. How are you? It's nice to see you and meet you. We are so excited to talk to you. <laughs> yes, we are very excited to talk to you. Oh, you guys are adorable. Oh, thank you. We uh, A little history of Jules and I. It, actually, we're living together, so we're able to stay Be- within six feet. Yeah. <laughs> we can be close together like this. And uh, we both are costumers on the same show, and that's how we met. So... Fun. Yeah, yes. so we... What show? Are you guys, are you guys in um, California? We're in Chicago, actually. Oh, nice. Wow. We've been together for five seasons for some of the Chicago shows, and we've worked, I would say, one million hours together. So (laughs) many hours, and now we live together, too, So, and now we do a podcast together, so so much togetherness. Lots of togetherness. (laughs) So wonderful and creative and enterprising, and um, well, if you've done a million hours, I hope you're IA. You're in 705? I'm actually 705, and then we're in 769 here in Chicago. What's 769? It's the Costumers Union in Chicago. It's our local here. So, But yeah, I'm 705 and 769, so I was in L.A. for about seven years before Chicago. Oh, okay. As you know, it's a crazy industry. (laughs) Yeah. I only lasted, what, 25 years, and then then, I don't know if you guys know, but I, I don't costume design anymore, or I haven't. In a while, I should say. In your 25 years, you made like such an impact. (laughs) Yeah, iconic. I was reading your questions and great questions. And I love that, you know, I've been talking about Ghostface and a couple of the other shows for over 20 years. And you had some questions that I haven't been asked before. And I'll wait till we get there. But it really started to make me think like, huh, this, this, this has been rather scream ghost face costume Casey Becker you know really impacted a lot of people and still does to this day and and now we have cosplay which 
back when we made the film, we didn't have cosplay. If we did, I didn't know about it. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about, so I wore the Casey Becker costume probably like three Halloweens ago. And my boyfriend was a uh, ghost face and it was my favorite Halloween costume because it got the best reaction. Like people saw it and they were like, oh my God, that's so awesome. So that just tells you what a huge impact that has. Yeah. I remember right after the film came out, I guess it was a year later. Anyway, I was, I was designing Buffy and I went to a Halloween party and I was dressed I'm not sure what I was, but I know that I had wings, like white wings. So maybe some sort of angel. And all of a sudden, when we were walking to the house, all these, these ghost face costumes were coming towards us. And I was just like, this is such a trip. It's wild. That's so cool. It scared me in 96 and it still scares me. Yes, it was so scary. When we first saw it, it was so scary. And then we watched it together the other day and Megan was scared and she was happy that we were watching it in the daylight because <laughs> she was scared. I'm a baby. <laughs> you know what? It was, it was scary making it. What, was it? That, that was a question we had that we I were talking about. I don't like people in masks that much like in Ooh, my presence. No, Even no. like yeah. when I can't see your face. I don't know. We've done a few masks costuming and I'm always like, Ugh. so like working with that mask, I would have been scared. <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of just, um, you know, as a costume designer, I wasn't on set at night that much, but I would go in to um, establish new costumes. And if they were night shoots, then of course I was there until it was, it was the first shot was taken. And there were times, like I'm talking about out at the house, which um, is not far from where I live now, because I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I grew up in, in the town, the county where we filmed Scream. That was one of the reasons that drew me, besides that it was a brilliant script and it was Wes Craven. But, um, you know, I was like, wow, I want to I go to my hometown and, and shoot a movie. And um, anyway, so I'm living back in Northern California. I'm not in Sonoma County. I'm in Marin County, which we won't get into geographics. But <laughs> when we were at that house in Tamales, um, which I guess is about 40 minutes from where I live now, it was scary at night. You know, it was quiet, even though we had the trucks and we had the lights and there were tons of people. But there were some moments that were really frightening. And even though, like I said, I wasn't there a lot at night, my crew would report back to me the next morning because I'd be getting up and going to work and they'd be coming home um, from their night shoot. And they'd be like, there's so much blood. It's so scary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was so much blood. So much blood. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that a lot. We were like, oh my God, the blood and the continuity the of the continuity blood. The continuity of the white t-shirt. Yeah. At the end, I yeah. was like, that is like two costumers. Like, that would be a night- nightmare. Because like, yeah. he was like messing around on the ground. I was like, oh, oh. he got the feathers on him. Yeah, and that's the feathers. what it was. He had the feathers on him from the couch. And then we were like, oh my gosh, feathers and blood. And, oh, the continuity. Feathers and blood. Yeah, there were a lot of stories that we had in the morning in the parking lot as they were coming home and I was going to work. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, as I, I was like, that's a costuming nightmare, but they did a really good job. Yeah, it looks so great. <laughs> they did such a great job. I mean, yeah. the entire crew. I mean, my crew was outstanding. But, um, yeah, I was very blessed. Is Scream your favorite thing you've done, or do you have any other favorites? You know, there was this, um, I think it was after Scream, I went to North Carolina, and I did two films back-to-back, -back and one of which was a period piece. 
And it was from, um, adapted from one of Nicholas Sparks, no, Richard Evans, called Timepiece. And I, I really loved that film. It was set in the 40s. And um, that was one of my favorites. But as far as like the entire experience and memories and just the overall vibe, Scream was the best experience of my entire career. That was due to Wes and the people that he surrounded himself with. And he just, um, if you guys don't mind me indulging you in a, in a story. Yes, please. <laughs> All the stories, please. <laughs> so I had met Wes a couple of times prior and he had brought me in, um, he and one of his producers had brought me in on a couple of other projects. And for whatever reason, it didn't go my way. So I wasn't nervous about working with him or meeting him. Again, I was just excited because I thought he was a lovely man. So anyway, we had um, our, our, my first encounter really with him beyond my interview, because I did have to interview for the project before I got it, uh, was, was uh, Drew Barrymore's fitting we had to like rush that in right away because she had something else to do. And so we had the fitting at Wes's house and, you know, I expected to see this creepy old English Tudor style <laughs> home with like gargoyles out front. And, Are we in the right place? It was just this beautiful, like floor to ceiling windowed modern style Eckler type home. I thought, huh, Okay. And it was up on top of a mountain in like the Hollywood Hills. And then we walk in and Drew was wonderful. And I had worked with Drew before. And so it was all hugs and kisses and like, oh my God. And then Wes was there and he's like, so I've set out some hors d'oeuvres and there's wine for after the fitting. I'm so glad you guys are here. Make yourselves at home. And it, it was like, this is Wes Craven. <laughs> he was really hospitable. He was really, really kind. Um, so smart, so super smart. So that was my first impression of him. And we just laughed the entire time. Um, you know, there was this other time we, he, he would take department heads and the cast to dinner almost every night. We would all go out to dinner together, which was super fun. And one night, um, now mind you, this was like 1996. <laughs> one night, it's so funny, I thought I was old then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm old now, isn't that funny? <laughs> um, the movie that was just premiering was called Twister. It starred um, Helen Hunt, she was a big star back then, and I think Bill Paxton. Mm. And um, anyway, so I'll never forget, he's like, we're going to the movies. We went to the movie theater. We all piled into a van. Wes is driving the van. I'm in the passenger seat, and I'm like, I so belong in the back seat. <laughs> Not next to Wes Craven, but I just went with it. And we go to the theater, and it's like the theater where I grew up, you know, where I saw movies my whole life. And I'm sitting there with the guy that created Freddy Krueger. Oh, my and, gosh. You know, I probably saw that Nightmare on Elm Street in that theater. Life is so funny. That's such <laughs> a full circle moment, like a true full circle moment that you went there as a kid and you're there with Wes Craven. Oh and I gosh. do believe that costume designers are should be in the front seat. The impact they have goes on for so much longer than people would ever imagine. Like people are going to be ghost faced for 
forever. Halloween forever. forever. It's like part of Halloween culture at this yeah. point. Like, it's, And it's like, that is your impact. And so, yeah, you deserve to be in the front seat. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I take that back. I deserve to be in the front seat. You there do. you go. That's what we like to hear. But I think it's so cool that people have these lasting impressions. And I mean, people always say like, oh, they can throw off an actor's name or a director. And it's like, yeah, and you know what? You're dressing you're dressing as something. The most impactful thing is a costume most of the time when you walk away. So. Right, that's what people take away from it is yeah. the costume. Like, that's so, what they yeah. relate to forever. Like, you said to me the other day, Halloween doesn't exist without, like, costume designers, which is so obvious, but, like, yeah. it's so true. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's important. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know, will Ghostface last? Like, um, so I started to think about Freddy Krueger. Maybe he was just too creepy, too demonic, too ugly to, to, to stick around all these years. But so that was like, what, 40 years ago? I think the film came out in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, where's Freddy Krueger now? We don't really see that costume so much. But I think what's so, I think, I think why Ghostface lasts and sticks around is because there's something... I don't know that we necessarily associate Ghostface with a killer anymore. Maybe we will now that um, Scream 5 is coming out and we'll remember that Ghostface is a killer. But you're behind this mask and this, and you're underneath this robe and this hood and you get to be so anonymous. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could with Freddy Krueger, but you had to put this ugly, ugly mask on. So... I don't know. It'll be interesting. We, we should probably check back with each other in 20 years and see what. Yeah. Perfect. I <laughs> love that. Put it on the calendar. Well, we have, we heard the story. I don't know if the story is true that the um, mask was discovered on a location scout. Is that a true story? No, the fabric for Ghostface was discovered on a location scout. Oh my gosh. Oh. We read something different on the internet. Oh, the internet line. I know. It's interesting. Now that you know, I've been doing a lot of these interviews, um, uh, it's interesting to hear what's out there. So the mask was actually found at um, Hollywood Toy Store on Hollywood Boulevard. And the mask was found after I had designed the costume. And, you know, originally, Wes envisioned the costume being white, like white nylon ripstop material. And I'm not sure, but there's like this vague memory that we were originally going to go with like Casper the ghost type mask. He thought that would be really creepy. So, I mean, in a way, yeah. 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 (laughs) Any mask to me is creepy. So yes. That's right. So, so what happened was, is we were all designing masks. We were all looking for masks and I was going back in like ancient art and, and, and Chinese wars of China. And I I was so determined I was going to find the mask. We all wanted to find the mask. And we actually, I think we had some prototypes of the mask made. The special effects company had been making masks and nothing satisfied Wes. Wes just knew that nothing, I mean, he really did go with his instinct on things. And so meanwhile, I was designing prototypes of this white Casper costume, but I had always seen Ghostface, and we didn't call him Ghostface back then. In fact, the movie wasn't even called Scream back then. It was called Scary Movie. And... Um, Anyway, so I'd always seen the costume as black and I'd seen the, cost, the, the robe as like the Grim Reaper. And so 
my first sketch, which is floating around the internet somewhere, um, it actually got sold years ago, unfortunately, but um, my first sketch was the Grim Reaper in black. And so we made all these prototypes in the white fabric and then various versions of what Wes said he wanted. And we, we put a friend of mine, like my friend, he was about 6'3", and we, <laughs> we dressed him up in the cast for the ghost costume and we put him in the bushes and we filmed him and we were just like, oh, <laughs> it, it just, it wasn't going to work. And we really didn't know what we were going to do. And we were still in LA at the time and we had to get up to Northern California. So we went to Northern California where we we're going to shoot um, really without ghost faced. And um, so I was doing my fittings with the principal cast and I sent my assistant on a location scout. I was like, you know, what? I just can't go today. You're going to have to go for me. <laughs> so um, this is like one of those incredible moments. So I get a call from her and she was so funny. She just, she had the best sense of humor, but she didn't try to make you laugh. But um, she says, Cynthia, I think we found the fabric and it's black. <laughs> <laughs> And we found it at this little tiny um, fabric store next to, I don't know, she named the location. And, and that, that was how it was found. And um, there actually wasn't enough fabric for all that, because I think we had to make like 12 right. costumes or something like that. So um, we, had to, we had to track it down. We, and I think we did eventually track down the manufacturer of the fabric. But that's the story. That I was so happy that it became black. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. DP that convinced Wes. The DP was like, you know, look at the way the sunlight is hitting the fabric. That's how the glint of the knife is going to reflect off the fabric, and the lights are going to reflect off the fabric. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that's what sold Wes. And you know what's great, too, is because I feel like everyone that gets bloody is in very, like, light colors. So it does create that, like, super dark image with these, like, like Drew Barrymore's character. Like, she was in, like, the light yeah, the yellow, very like, light. the cream. And then I feel yeah. like everyone was kind of in, like, yeah. lighter colors. That was all intentional, those light, bloody colors? Probably. <laughs> I don't remember, but I know that every time any script calls for blood... I will always try to not do light colors because I hate that. I think it's so cliche, but your producers and your director always want to show as much blood as possible. And so they ask for lighter color fabrics. So for the ghost face costume, we also wanted to ask about the robe and like how that came to be to, you know, cover someone up because we were watching it and it was like, we talked about it. Like it seems obvious, but it actually is not obvious at all. Like when you start with it, you're coming into it just reading a script and trying to figure out what to do. And that's such a brilliant way to cover up who it is. Like, and then it could be anyone. It could be women. It could be men. It could be any character could go into this robe and be covered up head to toe. And we were just curious too, if there was like any other options that you tested out or thought of before you ended up on the robe. It was pretty much besides being the white robe, it was pretty much always this robe. And then we built upon it. And everything was really, really thought out. The, um, I used to have an original, I could pull it out and show you, but sold it. <laughs> um, the hood had to be in such a way that it wouldn't fall off. Like we never wanted to see in a fight the hood fall off and we didn't want to see the shape of the head. So the entire head behind the mask 
had to be covered. And I think originally the mask didn't come with the little hood and we might have had to add that on. And then there was a way that we had to attach the hood to the mask, but then there was also um, this thick, like cardboard, like thicker than, um, what's that, what was that stuff called, buckram? Um, it was almost like cardboard, like milliner something. Mm -hmm. And, but thicker than what you use, a milliner would use for a brim. And, and, and that, we doubled the fabric over that. And then that interior piece was Velcroed to the head covering. Then we needed to make sure that you couldn't see the shape of the body. Right. So there were like shoulder pads. All I could think of was like, let's do shoulder pads like on a football player. So that was relatively easy. And then we had the hand situation. We had to make sure that um, we didn't see skin, we didn't see clothing, you know, the glove couldn't only go to here. So I thought, mittens, <laughs> you know, let's just make the glove part mittens like and attach it, it's, it's part of the sleeve. Then we never have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about continuity or anything. Right. So that's, that's what I did. And then the length of it, you know, we had to make sure that the length of it didn't give away the height of the person. Right. Or the shoes. So mm -hmm. everybody who was in the ghost costume wore the same shoes. And I, I get more requests from people asking, where did you get the shoes? Who makes the boots? And... <clears throat> As far as I, I can remember, I think they were made by um, Sears. I think they were Sears work boots, and they just don't make them anymore. Yeah, the black boot, you see it, and you're like, ooh, ooh, but there's such a common black like utility yeah, boot that you're like, it could like, be anybody. It could be anybody. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. so smart, because it wasn't like a signature shoe. Like, the one guy had bright red shoes on, and you're like, okay, well, it's not him. He has a bright red shoe on. The but, boots were definitely part of the costume. Yeah, yeah. which is cool. It was definitely, you noticed them, and then, but you kind of don't notice them either because you're like oh it's just a common black boots so you kind of know that you see them but then also you know you forget yeah those were yeah an item. if you look at there's a um there's a photograph of um all the kids sitting around a fountain and randy is wearing his green hush puppies and i think a green sport top and if you look closely I'm pretty sure Billy is wearing the boots. Oh, that's when they're on the fountain. Yeah. 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 I can't remember if Stu's wearing the boots. I'd have to look again. And I seem to remember getting a call that day. Like I was nowhere near. All the costumes were established. So I was off doing other costumes. And I remember getting a call. Um, my crew checking with me to make sure it was okay to give Billy his boots. And I guess Wes was asking for it. So I'm not 100% certain, but I'm fairly certain i mean why would i think that but right. i think he wanted to have sort of a red herring that is like the only red herring in the entire film because i get asked about red herrings all the time and but it's so cool that it's a costume thing that like right. it, it gives right. it away if you pay attention you know the really neat thing about wes is he wanted this film to be timeless he wanted it to look timeless he didn't really want any trendy items you know um the only, the only thing that was really trendy, I think, were the hush puppies. But I used them on Randy. So um, R Randy just kind of reminded me of like a 60s groovy dude. And, you know, I, I, think, I think Wes had a lot of forethought. Like, 
he was like, people might watch this film 20 years from now. Might. Might. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> well, also, Gal Weathers, her costumes were fabulous. Yeah. Those were my favorite. I loved her clothes. Yeah. Those, those were really fun. She wore Dolce & Gabbana, um, Versace. I mean, yeah, I got to spend some money on her clothes. The colors were great. Picked up the whole sort of um, palette from seeing, uh, remembering the Scream painting, Edvard Munch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go with that palette. And, and that might have also been why I wanted the black costume so desperately. Yeah. The movie wasn't even called Scream at the time. I don't think it was switched. I don't think it was renamed until post-production. Don't take that to the bank. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like that first time you see her in that like neon costume, you knew she was going to be a character. You, like, you were like saw her and you're like, oh, there, there's someone. Like yeah. she stood out for sure in we a were, good way. We were wondering too if like there was any thought of trying to really, obviously the character is much different than her character on Friends, but if you put any thought into like making sure that she was so different from Monica, even in what she was wearing. Yeah, there was a lot of thought about um, what she was going to wear. And she and I and Wes and one of the producers, we all went to lunch together and we, we talked about it. And then Courtney and I talked about it quite a bit. And we talked about her hair. We talked about, um, you know, her, her jewelry. And I worked with the prop man on, on her, the prop master on her jewelry. And everything was about being seen. And there was... <laughs> <laughs> I've never told anybody this, but there was um, there was a news reporter, an anchor in Los Angeles at the time, and her name was Colleen Williams. I think she was on ABC, and Courtney was like, I'm going to do my hair like Colleen Williams. And Colleen Williams had the frosted hair and the, the tips, and um, I just thought it was fabulous. And it was all about, I mean, we didn't really talk about making her different from Monica on Friends, because we just knew. I mean, you right. knew the character. You knew who this character was. It was more about she so desperately wants to make her mark in the world. She wants to bust this this story out, bust this case, and she wants to be seen and noticed. So that was really the mindset there. But if you can Google Colleen Williams, I, we will <laughs> definitely. We're, first thing we're gonna do. <laughs> we thought she was fabulous. Oh my god, that's so funny. Which. And uh, yeah, she definitely had like the crazy, the, the like highlighted, not crazy, a crazy drummer, but like the visible highlights. Oh yeah, the and, highlights. Yeah. It's like the hair was a whole thing yeah. too. Like it, it, all of it together is such a, oh, such a iconic look. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I know they changed it in the other, um, the other screams, but, and that's okay. She should evolve. I mean, her, her character evolved. So it's only yeah. yeah, but she was so visually fun. I love and she like that with like leopard headband. Yeah, he took off at one point. Yeah, and she was like red. And yeah, like bright color. Oh yeah, and... she was fun to watch. She was a lot of thought that went into that headband. And you know, and it was funny because she and David were so great together. And yes, that is where they met and fell in love. And blah blah blah. But I mean, just so we would watch dailies every day and just all of us were laughing they were just so good together every every actor was so good and just above and beyond what we thought we were producing yeah you could tell it really like the movie comes together like as you watch it either the costumes the acting yeah it's all 100 like it's all which is why i think it's standing the test of time totally yeah 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 really I, I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but when you read the script, did you think that this movie would be 
as big as it is? I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> so when I read the script, I turned it down. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I I was engaged to be married, living in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. I pretty much said goodbye to costume design. And the producer, uh, Stuart Besser, called me and he was like, I got this film and we're going to shoot it in Wilmington. We're going on a location scout right now. I said, yeah, you know, I'm just not into violence. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, I think it's, I think Casey Becker is going to be played by Drew Barrymore. And you worked with her. And I go, yeah, she's fabulous. But you know what? I'm going skiing for my birthday. <laughs> it was like January, February. My birthday's in February. And I don't know, Stuart. It's just, it's violent. And so I went, I went to Colorado, went skiing, broke my leg. And... Um, had to have surgery. And uh, so I'm laying in bed after surgery, the phone rings, it's Stuart. And he's like, well, what do you think? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know, man. I just broke my leg skiing. And, um, and he goes, you, can you fly? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I don't know. Let me ask my doctor. So long story short, uh, they changed the script a little bit. It was now being shot in my hometown, which he told me on the phone that day, which made it really appealing. And, and he said, we'll just fly you out here for an interview. You can, you can stay with your mom. Um, and, you know, I said, fly me first class and I'll come. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Wasn't that expensive back then. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, I mean, I was really surprised that, they wanted to hire me. I mean, I was really, really surprised. There were a lot of costume designers from Los Angeles that wanted this project. I later learned about, and um, I don't remember too much of the interview with Wes, but uh, we just got along. We just really got along. And, and my vision for the characters was, was, you know, exactly what his vision was. He told me after my presentation. So, um, yeah, so at the time, you know, with that I first read the script, I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere, but I thought, well, this is going to be a heck of a lot better than laying in bed and um, dealing with a broken leg. Sure, I'll go design a movie in Northern California on crutches. <laughs> so funny. Wow, life's crazy. <laughs> so crazy. But then, so then, you know, you were saying when you were watching the dailies and everything's funny and... and so when you see it come to life, did that give you a better understanding? Then, then did you feel like, okay, this is going to be a huge thing? Or did you still not know that it was going to be as big as it has become? There was a moment when we all just kind of knew. And we were in the screening room and we all just kind of went, huh, wow, okay. There was such magic on the screen and it was just, like, I have chills just talking about it. It, it was just indescribable. I mean, it is indescribable. And, and I think we all knew in that moment. And it just kept getting better and better from there. And we, we had hoped, but the, the film also had so many issues. Like, issues that I wasn't really privy to, but I could see going on. Like, the Weinsteins coming in. They, I think at one point they wanted to shut us down. I mean, there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And so um, Kathy Conrad, one of our producers, was able to convince them to just let us keep going. 
Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you see it on screen and, and you just, you, you know, you see it on screen and you see it on set and you, you just know. I don't know that we knew that it would last. It would still have such impact, what, 20 four 25 years later yeah. and there'd be five films like yeah there'd be it's hard to actually even imagine i was talking about this with someone imagining life like without scream it's such a part of the culture it's it's a part of pop culture history it's right it's like hard to think of a time before it existed before we've seen it and then what you established and built in movie one Right. Like you built a, you built an entire like empire. Empire. That's what I was going to say. Wow. Empire. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, I think, I think what's also really interesting is usually sequels get worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen with Scream. I think I still have to see Scream 4. Um, but, you know, like I said, they're coming out with Scream 5 and they've been doing wasn't there a series scream there was there was an mtv series and it's actually crazy because they did an mtv series and then like two years later they rebooted it and then they changed it and it's different now i did watch the whole series (laughs) on mtv i've seen every movie and i watched the whole series on mtv um i think oh my gosh and if i'm wrong then i'm gonna get in trouble but i think they changed the mask for the mtv series i watched it years ago yeah they changed the mask so it was like it, it was like its own totally kind of different thing, but they just kind of like sprinkled in elements. It was fun to watch, you know, like to try to compare it. Um, but it was definitely its own thing. But it's so crazy how many sequels, right. TV shows, all these things that have come from that original movie. Yeah. Yeah. People just love it. Another show I worked on, I did the pilot and... Um, they asked me to do the series and I was like, I don't know if I can do scrubs for five years. I mean, I need to be a little bit more creative. And that was Grey's Anatomy. So I'm so proud of the fact that I built the empire of scrubs. I mean, they still go by the color coding. They do. You know, what's so funny is I revisited season one over hiatus or over our quarantine. And I was, they do, they stick with your color palette you created. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's Navy for attendings. Yeah. Neil blue for residents. The green for nurses. I did go on to um, private practice. I loved private practice. And I loved the costumes that you did. Because <laughs> so much fun dressing the ladies, I have to oh, say. Oh, because they're such boss ladies. Like, they're costume, like they're like sexy, but they're like a professional. I don't know. They were great. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss costuming? Are you? There are moments. I think um, I don't miss costuming for TV. I just, I don't think I would have the stamina for it now. My life is pretty chill, Yeah. <laughs> which I designed it that way. Um, there are certain elements to it I miss. I, there's something about that, that collaboration, that creation. I would definitely do a film if asked the right project. I would definitely do, but I, I wouldn't go back into television. And, and there's a lot of television that's shot up here in Northern California, but I am in love with, with my life now. So what is it that you do now? Can you tell us all about what you do now? Sure. So after I left costume design, I went back to school and I got a master's in um, spiritual psychology which isn't spiritual, like, like Buddhist teachings. It's more about um, coming from an authentic place, uh, a heart centered place. And then I started a coaching practice and I started working with um, an organization where we were bringing 
these teachings into uh, prisons. So, and that, that, was, that was so rewarding, so amazingly rewarding. And I had my own private coaching practice. And then I also, people started asking me to help them with their businesses. And I was like, huh, okay, let's see if I can do this. And, and so I started business development and, and marketing and branding. And really the, the branding and the imaging is just the same as costume design. It's just a different, a different funnel, so to speak. So that's what I'm doing. I work with um, startup businesses, help them launch their products, help them create the image that they want to portray. And um, I also took up, I mean, I'm a novice, I'm an amateur, but photography, and I just, I see just such beauty and art in nature, so I just take these photographs of a flower or a tree or a rock or whatever, and um, sold a few of those, and then, um, I mean, that's, that's, then I discovered I can sing, I don't sing professionally, but (laughs) I definitely have fun with it, and that's it. That's so cool and so chill compared to like film and television. <laughs> it's like the well, opposite. The industry, the industry just after a while, it just, it was so crazy and it changed over the years and, and I changed. I mean, I was, I was definitely different life experiences happened that made me just stop and, and, and question and ask and, 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 and really look at like, where do I want to go with my life? What is my tra- trajectory here? How do I want to be of service? Do I want to be of service in a different way than costume design? And the answer was yes. And a lot of people were confused by what I was doing. <laughs> they were like, you're giving up this. My dad, especially was like, you're giving up your career. You're selling your house. You're writing a book. What? And, you know, people didn't really get it. But I think now, I mean, so that started in about 2000. 12-ish, 2011, 2012, now people are reinventing themselves all the time. Right. And it's just, I think the way that my life went and the way that I reinvented myself, sort of, you know, maybe my experience can help other people that are like, you know, I kind of want to do this too, but I don't know how. And so in my coaching practice, I help people figure out what it is they want to do and why they want to do it, which is the same as in marketing. I mean, marketing really is about like, why are you doing this? <laughs> what message do you want to do? You want to send out to the world, and what do you want to receive back? Well, I think that takes a lot of bravery and like really hard. Work. It's it's cool to hear because it's always like, what's next? What's around the corner? I'm glad. I'm glad because you know I don't think that we have to be stuck into one way of life or one way of being. I think I know that we continue to evolve and grow as human beings. I mean, they just discovered a new vein growing in our arm. They're like, oh, we're still evolving. <laughs> yeah. And so is our consciousness and. And so are our, our hearts and our, our minds and our likes and our dislikes. I mean, I'll tell you, in the last 30 years, the way that I've changed, the way my likes and my dislikes have changed, I mean, I'm not alone in this. It's everybody changes and grows like this. And I think the more that we can embrace it and look at it as a good thing, I think we're going to have a happier society. Very like, true. That yes. is very true. Well, and I think especially this year is such a test of that for everybody, just like you get comfortable and then things change and then it keeps changing like, you know, day to day even. So I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. Like, um, why lasting looks? How did this evolve? 
Well, I actually came up with the idea during quarantine. Me and Megan had joked for a long time about doing a podcast, but it was always different ideas. And I was trying to like get back into what, why, you know, you get into the film life and it's just like, go, 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 go. And it was my first big break in years. And I was really not questioning, but just like getting back to my roots, if you will, of like fashion and and loving clothes and why. So I actually started doing like little sketches. So that was my first thing. I was like doing these sketches. And then I started looking up designers, like who made this outfit? And I was like, this is so crazy that there's so many people who have created these lasting looks, if you will, um, that people don't know their name. And like Megan was saying, they're as equally as important as the actors, the directors, everybody knows those people's names, but people are not getting credit. These designers, like even, you know, we were, I was looking at people who have done music videos and their impact on pop culture is just so big. And I was like, I really just want to give a platform to designers to brag about their work because it's so important and everybody should know their name. And it doesn't exist. Like, there's a lot of it doesn't information exist. out there yeah. that doesn't exist where it's like, who did this? How did this come about? Like, what's the history? It doesn't, it's not. Yeah. Right. And I feel like we're just so, it's like our topic that we're nerdy about is finding out, like, hearing these stories or hearing about, like, inspirations or why you chose a color. Like, I could listen to people talk about that forever. So I felt like it was a really good idea to tie in our passions, what we know about, and giving designers the platform to talk about their work and for people to know about it. And, like... A lot of times we're called in for last looks and it's like it's a lasting look. Yeah, I was like, yeah, last, I was like Jules, that, was that is too. the genius thing. It's like a little wink to people who work in the industry. They know what we're talking about. <laughs> Fabulous. I love it. And I think it's really great that you have something that you're so passionate about that other people are passionate about. And so you're bringing about awareness of this, um, especially, you know, because you working on set you can work 96 hour weeks and that's just in five days yeah. and you can get really lost. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just your downtime, you're recovering and then you're, you're right back at it. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, I, I, yeah, I really commend you guys for doing this and, you know, taking the time of quarantine to really discover what it is you want to do and how you want to contribute. So I love that you guys are doing this and I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. And <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. I feel it. like a new energy now that I feel like after this interview, I do too. <laughs> I like a good vibe. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, um, I, I've really enjoyed this. I'm glad you reached out. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Are you, you're so beautiful and lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Stay safe. You too. We all know that it's been a tough year for small business. So instead of having ads on our podcast, each week we're going to advertise a small business that we love for free. Speaking of small business, you know what small business I love, Jules? Red June Cafe. It's located in our cute little neighborhood in Bucktown, Chicago. Caffeine is definitely needed to live the life of a costumer and a podcaster. I love Red June Cafe's lattes, and they have the best breakfast. They also have a walk-up window, so ordering is easy and safe. So check out Red June, located at 2020 North Levitt Street in Bucktown, Chicago.
Thanks so much for listening to our first episode. We just want to give a special shout out to Sean Schuyler for the music, editing, and producing this podcast. Please make sure to rate and subscribe. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Lasting Looks Podcast.